Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you. Hallelujah. Lord God, we pray that you'll open our eyes to see your truth, open our ears to hear your voice, our minds to understand your word, and our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. Lord, we desire to be more than mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Fill this place even more with your presence and your power. And may we leave here better than we came here. Bless those who are watching online. May they be attentive. God, we pray that you'll remove every distraction in the name of Jesus. Cause our mind to be steadfast and focused on your voice and on your heart and your ways this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If I were to ask you, um, what is God's greatest masterpiece? What is God's greatest creation? Uh, what would your answer be? Uh, I believe that some people would probably um, say that God's greatest masterpiece or greatest creation is a sunset that paints the evening sky. Because like, some people like that. They look at the sunset and they say, wow, look at that. This must be the, the, the greatest of God's creation. When they look at the sunrise and the sunset. All right? Just like this morning, I'm traveling to church with the kids, and my son said, the sun is moving. And the other one said, no, it's, it, the sun is not moving. Um, it is a car. But he says, so, so the other one said, but the sun is everywhere. Right? And people will look at that and say, whoa, listen, the sun is everywhere. The sun is right now in Jamaica, and it's in the United States. Can you imagine that? And it's in Trinidad. And it's in the Bahamas. And it's in places in Africa. Can you imagine that? One sun is in all of those places. I, have you ever wondered? <laughs> Think about that. The sun looks like it is stationary over Jamaica. And everywhere you go, it looks like the sun is stationary over that place. Yet the light of the sun is in every place. The same circular thing that we look up in the sky and glimpse at. So some people say that is God's greatest work. Others will say it is the millions of stars that, that twinkle so beautifully each night. Others point to the majestic mountain range. When they look at the mountain range and stuff, I mean, if you should get a shot, I, I think they call it Queen's Drive or Boulevard out by Naranda there, that mountainside so beautiful, heading out of St. Anne into Trelawney, and um, before they had the highway there, I mean, it was such a beautiful mountain range, right? If, if you remember when you're going up to um, Kingston, and there was no highway, and you look to your left and to your right, mountain ranges, but now with excavation and, and opening of roads, it looks different, but many people look at that because they love nature and marvel at the beauty of the mountain range. Some people look at the rushing water, they look at the Dunn River, and say, oh my God, how, how a God, I mean, who could do this? Like, how did the Dunn River come there? How, how did that happen? How, how did that happen? Look at the waves. What, what causes the waves? Like, why waves are not just in Jamaica? I mean, is it the same wave that comes from Trinidad to Jamaica? How does it work and stuff? People marvel at these things and say, this must be God's greatest creation. Some say the flowers that bloom in the springtime are the many uh, amazing creatures that populate our planet. 
plant will eat an entire, I mean, a group, of, uh, what do you call it, a, 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 a colony of ants, right, will eat bread and their size don't change. And you think, what is the purpose of ants? And the ecosystem needs them. Like, like, you wonder, what is the purpose of roaches? But something depends on the roach for food. You, 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 like, you wonder how, oh my God, like, like God made food for everything. So the roach has to eat because somebody needs to eat. Well, not somebody. Something needs to eat. The roach. All right. Amen. I mean, but people eat roaches, I hear. Not me. They would like that. But all of those masterpieces are all impressive. But none of them are the greatest that God has created. In fact, the psalmist also reveals in Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are intricately designed. I don't know, so I'm going to, I don't even know all of these things about your body, but I'm going to tell you some stuff that you didn't know. And the reason why I'm telling you these things is because I want you to understand how intricately you are designed. When the scripture speaks in one Psalm 139, Hori, you're knitted together in your mother's womb by God. All right, do you understand that your body, I mean, you, some of these numbers you will not, you have never seen these numbers in real life, so you don't know what they look like. So just work with it, them just know. All right? Our bodies contain about 75 trillion cells. Trillion. All right, some of us have not held one million dollars, so we can't even comprehend what trillion looks like. Our bodies have 75 trillion cells. If you have a million one dollars, right, you'd get confused. And your body has 75 trillion, not billion, trillion cells. And each of these cells are made up of 50 billion atoms. So you, if you multiply 75 trillion by 50 billion, you're good. Don't think you can. All right? Because what number you going to come up with now? Zillion? Or skizillion? I don't know. Right? So every four to five seconds, one, two, three, four, five. You know what just happened? 50,000 of the 75 trillion cells I talk about just die inside of you. One, two, three, four. 50,000 more just die. One, two, three, four, five. 50,000 more just die. So here's what happened. And every time you count to five, 50,000 more replace the 50,000 that just died. So while you're listening to this message this morning, your body is going to produce somewhere between 15 to 25 million cells. Of course, it's depending on how long I speak. So before you leave church today, just in your body alone, you are producing 50, 25, 
15 to 25 million cells inside your body. There are 75,000 miles of arteries, veins, and what they call capillaries. You know what veins are? All right. Watch this. In our body. And it, it is enough to circle the entire earth three times. So, so watch this. The arteries, veins, and capillaries in your body alone. If you were to take it up and watch this. If you take it up and put it around the earth, it would circle the earth three times. And all of that is in your body. How it fit? How does it fit if it can? How so much to, Isn't God amazing? All right. Those things are too biological for you, right? So I need to give you some simpler things. You know sneeze? All right. You sneeze, right? Normal people sneeze. All right. You know how fast your sneeze can travel? 100 miles per hour. How many miles it is from, from, from Westmoreland to Kingston? It's 199. More than that? Things around that, right? So your sneeze travels faster than the fastest bus in Jamaica to move from Westmoreland to Kingston. Like by the time you drive home, your sneeze can go to your home several times and make laps on you. You know spit, right? Uh, amen. Not the hawk one, but it's the regular one, right? The regular one, right? The average human produces 25,000 quarts of spit in a lifetime. That is enough to fill two swimming pools. So you have enough. You, 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 watch this. You have enough saliva that can give out that way to fill up. If you save all of it, you can fill up two pools. You don't need water. You have enough spit in you to build your own pool and swim in it. Don't try it, right? Your feet, your feet account for one quarter of all the human body bones. That's 52 bones in your feet alone. A pair of feet have 25, 250,000 or a quarter million sweat glands. Your nose it's not as sensitive as a dog's nose. Right? But it can remember 50,000 different scents. Try it. Have you ever worn a cologne? And anywhere you... You know you can tell how curry smell different from jerk, from brown stew. You know you can tell how fish smell different from chicken. And how pork smell. And how breadfruit smell. You can tell how East Indian smell and how jewel. You see how many different scents your nose remembers? Your nose remember more scents than you remember names of people. I, I want you to understand what God says you are his masterpiece, what that means. Symbiosis. Each square inch of the human body has an average of 32 million bacteria on it. It means that we have a lot of bacteria on us. I know some of us think we, that's why you need to be it. So it's okay for us to say you have bacteria in it. 
because it, it's doctor, right? All right, you have a brain. For the people who have brains, because not all of us have brains, but for, for those of us who have brain, right? Your brain is around three pounds. It has 100 billion neurons intricately linked to each other. The total number of connections in your brain is approaching 1,000 million million. In other words, things that connect to things to connect to things to connect to things to connect to things. All right? Your eye, one eye, not, not two, one of your eye is composed of over 2 million working parts. For your eye to work, there are 2 million things working together so that we can see. Almost the population of Jamaica working in your eye. Do you know that you can do heart transplant? You can do liver, kidney transplant, but you can't do an eye transplant. All right? There are more than one million nerve fiber connect each eye to the brain. That connects each eye to the brain. That is why, there you go. Too many things to move to do a transplant. That is why when you see something, it registers so quickly. Like, I can't. All right, listen. Look how quick it is for you to tell what color is that. Uh, so I'll show you how fast you, Listen. Look how fast your eye works. You weren't focusing on this. What color is this? Quickly. All right, do you know what just happened? Your sight brings things to the brain and come back to your mouth. You see what things happen? It doesn't take less than a... So, so you need to respond in less than a, sec, in a second. So all that is... Listen, all that is processed fast enough for you to say. Let me give you some more, right? Your retina is thinner than paper. It's a tiny surface, only one square, square, what they call one inch square. It contains 137 million, what they call light sensitive cells. These retina cells perform up to 10 billion calculations per second in determining the nature of the image transmitted to the eye by light photons. So 10 billion calculations happen so you can tell by sight. In fact, there's no supercomputer on earth that is capable of matching these virtually instantaneous calculations. You need to clap yourself. You're I'm telling you, when I think about that, you need to clap yourself and say, Whoa! Yo, you on it. Whoa! Whoa! So, surely the human body must be God's masterpiece. But actually, God's greatest masterpiece has been twice created. If you're a Christian, you probably saw one of these works of art already today. That is, if you looked in a mirror. Yes, you. 
You are the greatest of God's masterpiece. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. No, you, you, you probably didn't look very beautiful or handsome when you got out of bed this morning. But when you looked into your bathroom mirror, you were looking at God's greatest work. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me break this down for you. The word workmanship in this verse is the Greek word. Po it, it, it is translated from the Greek word poema. P-O-E-I-M-A. It is from this word we get our English word poem. But the word means much more than a poem. It, 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 it is a word that indicates a work of art or a masterpiece. And that is why some translation uses the word masterpiece. So here's point number one. We are God's workmanship. Just put your hand on your chest and say, I am God's masterpiece. Hallelujah. In other words, it is God who makes Christian. It is said, we are his workmanship. It is God who makes Christian. No one can make himself or herself a Christian. You can't be a Christian by your own works or deeds or your intelligence or your looks or your job or your money or anything like that. It is God who makes his masterpiece. It is God who makes Christians. We are God's masterpiece. Does the painting paint itself? No. Does the symphony compose itself? No. Does the poem write itself? No. Does the Christian become a Christian by themselves? No. So neither can we do anything that contributes to our salvation. It is God's work. That is why when people say to you, I have to stop this first. I have to stop this before I give my life to the Lord. I need to fix this. It's, it cannot work. It can't work. Because you can't make yourself a Christian. It is God's complete work. Jonah 2 verse 9. And Jonah, the scripture says, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. In Isaiah 6 to 4 verse 8, the prophet says, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you our potter. Come on, just say it with me. I am the clay, you are the potter. Then he says, and all we are the work of your hand. Have you ever seen clay telling the potter what it wants to be? In fact, the clay never approaches the potter. It is the potter who goes and finds the clay, brings it into the, the, the pottery. No, not the pottery. What do they call the clay? Place where they make pottery. What do you call that place? The pottery shop. <laughs> All right, hey, hey, somebody said the pottery shop, right? So let's work with that. The pottery shop. Don't think that's what it is, right? But he brings it there, he makes it into what? At no point the clay has a say. And so it is with us. So from Ephesians 2 8 to 9, we learn that salvation is by grace alone. It is a gift that cannot be earned. It can only be received. You cannot earn it. You have to receive it. You cannot work for your salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. And he gives it to you without cost. 
to you but cost to him because he gave his son. You can't earn it. You can't work yourself into salvation. You can't pay yourself into salvation. You can't sing yourself into it. You can't serve yourself into it. You can't preach yourself into it. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is received. It is by grace alone. Salvation is a gift to be received, not a goal to be achieved. In other words, you can't say, well, no, I am ready. Whether you are ready or not, if you don't get the gift, you being ready won't help you. Because he if he is the gift and he is the giver of the gift. So salvation, as we know, is by grace through faith alone. But faith does not save. Christ alone saves. Christ alone saves. Faith doesn't save. Faith is simply receiving the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Listen, a car is useless without a driver. Amen? If the car don't have a driver, it can't move. So who is more important, the driver or the car? Listen, I can get to places without a car. The car can't go nowhere without a driver. So who is more important, the driver? That is why people always ask you, who come first? The egg or the chicken? It's very simple. In the beginning, God did not make egg. He made a chicken. So the chicken come first. Because without the chicken, there would be no egg. Right? When God looked at the chicken, he said, it is good. Be fruitful and multiply. So the Greek word that has been translated workmanship is used only twice in the New Test in the entire New Testament. It is used here in Ephesians, but it's also used in Romans one, verse twenty. And in that verse, the word is translated. The things that are made. Romans 1.20 though, it speaks of the original creation in the beginning. Alright? And so, but Ephesians 2 verse 10. So, so remember now, Romans 1, the word poema, uh, a workmanship, is used two times in the entire New Testament. Romans 1 verse 20. And when it is used there, it speaks of the things that are made. But in Ephesians, it, it is talking about... Uh, we are the workmanship of God in Christ. So it's speaking about a new creation. It is saying that you are already made and now you are being, you are already created. But now you are being recreated. And this one is in Christ because there is a creation that is not in Christ. And so this Ephesian scripture is speaking about the in Christ creation. Which is speaking about salvation. You're following, right? And that is why it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. He is a new creation. If anybody is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. All things are fast and all things have become new. We are new creations when we are in Christ. In other words, we have been recreated. 
because we were already created. So Christians are God's greatest masterpiece. And here are a couple of reasons why I believe that statement is true. God works. God's work on us is great because of what he had to work with. What did God have to work with? God had nothing to work with because we are just clay. Nothing to work with. So to create means to make something out of nothing. When God created this universe, he made it all out of nothing. Genesis 1, in your Bible says, in the beginning, God did what? Created what? The heaven and the earth. Everything was created there. Everything was done. Let me say that again, because you missed this, because there's a major transition between Genesis 1, verse 1, and Genesis 1, verse 2. If you look at your Bibles, verse 2 begins, and the earth was null and void. So something happened between Genesis 1, verse 1, and Genesis 1, verse 2. To make everything that God created become null and void. And then it starts off again. So he said, and he started recreating what was created in Genesis 1 verse 1. Do you follow? Alright? You have to look in your Bibles. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was done. Something happened in verse 2 and made everything null and void. So God picks up in verse 3, restoring what was done in verse 1. That is why the word replenish is used. Replenish is used because when re is used, it is talking about putting it back to its original state. Following now? So what did God have to work with? Nothing. So when God makes Christians new creation, he makes them out of nothing. For we are nothing apart from God's grace. The problem is that many people think they are something. So therefore they can't get saved. Until you realize that apart from Christ, you are nothing. You are spiritually bankrupt. You can't receive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to realize that without God, I am bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they what? Huh? They shall? You have to be poor in spirit. You have to admit that I am nothing apart from you so he can then make something out of nothing. You see, we are, as Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, dead in our trespasses and sin. When you don't have a relationship with Christ, though you look nice, you are dead. You are a pretty duppy. I mean, listen, dead people 
oftentimes look real good. When the funeral parlor finishes with them, people look at them and say, boy, them fix up the one you're goodie, man. Look how him look good. So not because you look good mean that you're alive, you know. Because if you don't have Christ, you're a dead man walking, a dead woman walking, and you're dead in sin and trespasses. That's what the scripture teaches. So here is what God does. God takes sinners and turns them into saints. You see, other people may turn saints into sinners. You understand? Because you ever hear people say, man, listen, uno make good Christian backslide. What they are really saying is that you can turn saints into sinners. But here's the thing. Nobody but God can turn sinners into saints. Here's the next thing. God's work on us is great because of what it cost him. He had nothing to work with. And then it cost him. What did God's original creation cost him? When he made Adam and Eve and all of it. What did it cost God? Absolutely nothing. He may say, really? It didn't cost God anything to make the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve and, 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 and the garden and, and the, all the animals. It didn't cost God anything. Why? It didn't cost God any time. Because God doesn't do well in time. Time is not an issue with God because God is eternal. God exists out of time. God dwells in eternity and God just grabs a little time out of eternity and just goes, earth, you need time. And puts it in earth. God don't live it. God is not confined to time. So it didn't cost God any time. Not only that, it didn't cost God any energy. Why? Because God never tires. If you cannot get tired, you don't need energy. Amen? Because God never slumbers or sleeps. God don't need energy. Energy is a wasted commodity in God's kingdom. God don't need it. Because he cannot get tired. Amen? But what about the, God's new creation? They did cost him something. And the cost was steep. The cost was the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that son was Jesus. So when I said that we are God's masterpiece, I didn't mean that we are the kind that collects dust in some museum somewhere in the world. We are more like machines that a master mechanic has built. And machines are built, are made to work. So we are God's workmanship. We are like machines built by God. And if you are a machine built, that means you are built for work. So we are God's workmanship so that we can work. Amen? So we are God's workmanship and we are God's workers. So put your hand in and say, I am God's workmanship. I am God's worker. I want you to understand that both go together. Because workmanship is the recreated you, the new you in Christ. It means that the new you in Christ is, becomes a worker. There's a connection. You cannot be new in Christ and not work. It comes with it. It's a comprehensive package. So if you are 
recreated. And you sing the song, I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. All things are passed away. I'm born again. More than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. If that is your song, you must also declare, I am a worker now. Why? Why? Why must we be worker? It is a must. And here's why. Our good works prove the reality of our faith. If you don't work, it means we have to question if you really believe. I want you to hear that. The importance of your work to your workmanship is that you actually work so we believe in your workmanship. So if you're not working, then we have to question if you are the workmanship. Are you hearing me this morning? So, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. If you are saved, you are saved for good works. That's what the scripture says. For we are his workmanship created, new creation in Christ Jesus, for good works. The purpose of your recreated life is to do good works. Come on, just say with me. I am saved to work, not to sit and waste time. Come on, just say with me. My workmanship and my work are connected. They cannot be separated. So let me break this down for you. You see, we do not work in order to be saved, right? I've established that. We work because we are saved. A person is not saved by works, but a saved person works. I don't understand where Christians get this idea that they can't give them life to the Lord and don't do nothing. It is unscriptural. Because the purpose of your, we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for. So you can't cut off that part of the scripture. We, so works are the consequences, not the cause of salvation. All right? Work are the consequences, not the cause of salvation. What are consequences? When you put your hand in fire, you get, right? Because it's a consequence. Amen? It's not the cause. It is the consequence. It's the same way when you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The consequence of that is that you're going to work for God. James says it this way. You don't believe me? All right? It's in the Bible. And James, in his letter, makes it very clear in James 2, 14 to 16. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, my sistering? What does it profit, my sistering? What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works. If you're someone say, hey, me believe in God but me not do nothing for God. What if someone says, hey, me say but me not really do nothing. I'm saved but I'm not doing anything. He says, what does it profit him? Can faith save him? He's asking questions. He says, if a brother or sister, watch this. 
is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the thing which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, listen to this, thus also faith by itself. Where is that? Just put that up for me. Amen. All right, it's coming on. One. Amen. Thus, also faith by itself. Right? Faith what? By itself. If what? It does not have what? What happened? Is what? If there's no work attached to your faith, it's dead. So James does not mean that we're saved by faith plus works. That's not what he means. He means that real faith results in a life of good works. So the person that James is talking about does not have genuine faith. He has an intellectual kind of faith, a faith that is dead and useless. He knows about God. He comes to church. He does some God stuff, reads the Bible and stuff. But, but guess what? It is useless because there is no corresponding works. In fact, Jesus declared this in Matthew 17, sorry, 7 verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But, but who? But he who does what? The will of my Father in heaven. The will meaning the work of my Father. Who will enter the kingdom? Those who do the work of the Father. James tells us in James 1 verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Doing what? Deceiving yourselves. You have to do the word. Problem is too many of us, too many of us believe that as long as we get saved, that's it. And there's no reality of our faith. Those who think that they can be a Christian without doing anything for the Lord are deceiving themselves. It's not possible. If you're saved, you will do good works. You won't do good works to be saved, but you will do Good works because you are saved. Faith without works is dead. Yesterday I did a marriage retreat. I have a, a few, I mean, great guys from the church who came out and supported me there. And we're meeting with these couples. Lots of them are unsaved. And I was saying, one of the things I said to them is this. Listen, many people want marriage treatment, but they are not married. And so I was saying to them, listen, if you're not married, you're not supposed to get no money from no man. He's, unless you have a child and he's taking care of the child, if you're unmarried, he's not response, he's not, he's not obligated to give you anything. And if he gives it to you, it's just like him will give him friend a liquor on the road. And so people are saying, but but we we understand we we in a thing. There's still no commitment because the only commitment where a man should take the scripture for this reason a man should leave 
his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. And they shall become what? One flesh. Meaning that we belong to each other. There is a commitment outside of that. Anything I want from you, I, I pay for it. So if you, if you give the person your body and they give you money, in whatever context, it is prostitution. It's paying for service. Because there's no commitment. So, say so suppose I pay my rent. You must see, man. Pay what kind of rent? We're not married. So I'm not supposed to wash him clothes. Wash what kind of clothes? You ask wife to wash clothes. Or mother. And they couldn't understand it. But that's why the world is messed up. Because people want marriage treatment, but they don't want married commitment. They want to live in the same house and all that thing, buy a house together, but they don't want to get married. Live in a hoof a house. Live in your yard. Me live in my yard. What's the point I'm making? What's the point I'm making? Listen, that is why when you have, when you have a kid and they're going to get married, listen. Until your daughter is married, you're responsible for her. That means the person who's going to take on the responsibility of her, you have to make sure that he can carry the responsibility of her. Are they not qualified? Like my son can't marry nobody if he don't have a job. Because that's unscriptural. Because I ain't my name. Him wife. I love my son, but he has to love his wife, not me. It's the same thing. Watch this. You cannot want to be saved, but don't do nothing for God. It's the same principle. Because, the, the, and that is why your relationship with God is likened to a marriage. Because when you're married now, when I am married, listen, I don't have to ask my wife for love. It is automatic. It's supposed to happen. I don't have to ask my wife, dear it. You can't, you can't cook a little food for me. No. It, it comes with the covenant. So when we say we are saved, part of that covenant is the work for the master. Amen? Here's the other thing. Our, our good works bring glory to God. And some people do good works so that they might receive praise for themselves. So that people might say, wow, look at him, look at her. That should never be our motivated for doing good works. Our ultimate purpose in life is to bring glory to God. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand doing. Listen, listen, if I am singing, if I am preaching, and at the end of it, it's because, hey, people.
people come up to me, listen, I'm missing the point. The whole purpose of my sermon is not the applause or the accolades that I get. Here's the thing. is did it give glory to God. Because at the end of the day, if I get a thousand hallelujahs and it doesn't give glory to God, it is all wasted. That is why God saved us to bring glory to him. As 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do, is this giving God glory? Is this giving God glory? Whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. Listen, I don't preach like other people. I don't sound like other people. Listen, I can't do it like them. When they preach, I mean, they get a holy for hallelujah. If they were here this morning, I'm telling you, you'd be running up and down and kicking up your chair and take off your shoes and dance. That's not my style. Here's my style. At the end of my sermon, did it give glory to God? And if I get no hallelujah and God is glorified, I'm happy. So I'm not working so that Brother Wade can say, Well done, good and faithful usher. I'm going to buy you some sorrel for Christmas. No! Because if Wade gives me sorrel and God disapproves of my work, what benefit is it? The psalmist says, give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. And so what's the best way to do that? John 15 verse 8 gives us the answer. Jesus said, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Jesus himself proclaimed in Matthew 5 verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. See your good works. And when they see your good works, they glorify your father in heaven. You see, God isn't glorified by lazy Christian. He's glorified by active Christians. Are you active? Are you active? That is why you need to get along with people in church. Because one of the reasons why people don't get involved in their local churches is because they don't get along with people. Are you active? What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't tell me that you're working because you clean your house and you talk to this. No, no, no. Your work has to extend beyond your house and your home. Going to all the world, the scripture says, and make disciples of all men. If your work for God is limited to your family, you're missing the point. And so God says of us, as he said of Israel, these people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. We were created by God to declare his praise. So he has showered us with his amazing grace. So we should bring praise to his name. I also want you to know this morning that God works. Good works might have a tremendous impact on others. I know you don't believe that what you do will change people's life, but you never know. It's amazing sometimes the things about us that people admire and change their life. In fact, oftentimes, the things that we do that think it would really bring change, it don't. And then somebody looking at something about you, and they, they admire the strangest thing about you. And out of that stranger thing, they end up giving their lives to the Lord. So you might be thinking, I could never be a, have a big impact on someone's life. You may be thinking, who am I to do something so great? There's a song that says, little is much when God is in it. 
Almighty God took a stick in the hand of Moses and parted the mighty Red Sea. A stick. God, listen, God can use a piece of old stick. Nothing significant about it. Do you know that God took a slingshot in the hand of a boy and he killed a towering giant? So David used, God used an old man in Moses and he used a young man in David. He used a stick, he used a sling. But then he, there was a little boy who had just some lunch. And you may think the little, the little that you have won't make a difference. The little um, can of tin macula you, you give to someone don't make a difference. But this little boy lunch fed thousands. What God can do with the little you have to offer to him. You know that working for God, church, is an honor. It's not a bother. It's an honor to work for God. Imagine all the people that God could have chosen, and he chose you. You know how much clay is out there, and he picked you up, cleaned you up, built you up, and set you up. That's how special you are. It's an honor, not a bother. When you think about serving the Lord, don't think about don't think of it as something you should do, but rather not do. In other words, don't get up and say, boy, I'd rather not do this. You know? No, that seems like it's a bother to you. I tell people, God's work is going to get done. The thing you can miss out on it because the attitude is wrong. We must be, we, we must be looking for opportunities to honor God in our work. See it as an honor. Because working for God is a command. It is not an option. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. In other words, if it is a command and you're not doing it, you're breaking God's command. Which makes it sin. You see, we think that sin is fornication and adultery alone. But when you're not doing the work of the Lord, which is a command, you are walking in sin. And too many Christians are sitting in the pews cheering on the few who are doing most of the work. Today we need less spectators and more servants. We are not building fans. We are building teammates. We are one team. We are not a team and then the rest of you are, are cheerleaders. Hey, cheer us on. No, 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 no. We are one team. We celebrate together. We play together. And we work together. We do the work of the Lord together. It's a certain good works have been planned for us by God. Planned. Imagine that. I love God. This is so awesome. I love God because here's what happened. God knew all the mistakes that I would make in my life but yet he planned work for me even though he knew the mistakes. He knew my falls. He knew how many times I'd mess up but he said I have plans for you and long before my creation, he had a blueprint for me. He had work cut out for me. And he didn't look and say, well, you're going to make some mistakes so you're disqualified. Because oftentimes, people think God calls the qualified. He doesn't. What he does, he qualifies those who he calls. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has a blueprint for our lives. And before the creation of this world, God planned for you to do 
certain good works. And the question is this morning, are you doing them? And if your answer is no, I hope you'll start today and don't delay. Why? Because the time for work is today, right now. The time for work, God is up to something. God is doing something right now. The time to work is right now. Jesus declared, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already, the fields are already white for harvest. Church, the fields are already white for harvest. Right now, things are ready for you to start doing God's work. Don't think I'll start serving the Lord tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. The time to begin is now. It is today because to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Do what God has called you to do, purpose for you to do, and plan for you to do, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why must I work? Because refusal to work brings devastating consequences. I want you to just imagine with me. Imagine if the nurses decide that they're going to stop working. Imagine if the police says, listen, I can't bother. I'm going to wait until next year. Let me sit down. You know that most of us would criticize and cuss them, would say, listen, we don't care about people's health. We don't care about people's security. Imagine the people in the fire department stop working. We say, we don't care about people. All you think about is yourself. These people are taking care of what you call natural issues. The church takes care of what? Spiritual issues. Do we quarrel with ourselves and curse ourselves when we decide that we're not going to work. When the police do it, we are upset. When the doctors do it, we are upset. When the nurses do it, we are upset. When the teachers do it, we are upset. What do we do when the church decides not to do it? Imagine if Noah had decided it was too much work to build the ark. There might be no life on this planet today. What if Moses had refused to lead Israel out of Egypt? They might have never entered the promised land. What if Paul had disobeyed God's call to preach to the gospel to the Gentiles? We might still be in darkness. And if you don't do the work of God, the work God has planned for you to do, what will it mean for the church? What will it mean for your family? What will it mean for your neighborhood? What will it mean for your life? Imagine if an entire generation were to be lost because you didn't do work. An entire community, an entire family messed up because you didn't do what God recreated you to do. Though you say you are his workmanship. God said, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Is God saying those same words or those sad words to, about you? Does he cry, oh, that he would listen to me, oh, that she would listen to me, oh, that she would walk in my way, oh, that he would walk in my way? Have you said, Lord, 
you can have all there is of me. I've heard people, even in church, sing the John legend. All of me want all of you. All kind of things. And it says, I give you my heart. Telling people that, I give you my life. Have you, have you done that? Have you said, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you desire, here I am. Have you presented your life and your body to the Lord and said, God, you know what? Nothing, no woman, no man deserves more of me than you. I give you my all. If not, this moment, God is whispering in your ear. And he's saying, please listen to me. Walk in my ways. Do the works that I have planned for you. Listen, just bow your heads with me this morning as we close. I want to pray for you. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, just begin to say to the Lord, you can have all there is of me. Say, Lord, I will listen to you and I will walk in your ways. Just tell him, say, Lord, I'll do the works that you have planned for me. Just say, I am your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared beforehand. I want you to say to him, as Acts 9, verse 6 says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Ask him that. Say, Lord, today, right now, in the season of my life, what do you want me to do? If you ask him, he's going to respond. Listen to him. And whatever he tells you to do, I want you to do it. Get it done. Take small steps of obedience and watch God work. Come, just, just pray with me this morning. Say, Father, I thank you for recreating me. I thank you for devising a plan for my life. Lord, I pray that each one here would have a desire to obey your will and do those works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Just say, empower me through your spirit in Jesus' name. Say, Lord, I am ready to do your work. Whatever the cost, I'm willing. Say, I surrender to you, Lord. Everything I am and everything I own, it's all yours to be used for your glory. Listen, just stay right there for a minute and just let the Spirit of God minister to you. He didn't spend all that detailed time 
send his son to die for you, for you to live an ordinary life, sitting down, soaking, wasting days away. Did all of that so you'd be engaged in work for him, to bring glory to his name. And then maybe you are here or you're watching online. and The truth is, you want to work. The thing is, you don't have a relationship with him. It's going to be hard to commit to the work of the Lord if you're not in a committed relationship with him. And there was a time in my teenage years when I thought like salvation was a very difficult thing because people would say that when they get saved, they had goosebumps and, you know, they were slain in the spirit. And when they went to the altar, they fell down. And I always had like, if I never had that, then am I really saved? Then it was explained to me and I understood that all I needed to do was to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth. And even if I felt nothing, I just had to trust God that he's doing a work. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like, I, I, I don't even know because I don't feel anything. I'm not even sure. Listen, you can be sure today. And so someone led me in a very simple prayer. I don't remember it. I mean, word for word. But over the years, I've, I've, I've always prayed this and lead people to pray this prayer. It's a simple prayer. And if you believe in your heart and you confess this from your mouth this morning, then you'll have and experience God's salvation. And I can't tell you what to expect because everyone's experience is different. But I know that God saves and he's real today. So just pray this with me if that applies to you. Just say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner needing forgiveness. I am a sinner needing salvation. Only you can save. Only you can forgive me of my sins. Save me, Lord, and forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart today and be my Lord and my Savior as I surrender to you. Lord, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. Believe that He died for my sins, He was buried. But now he's resurrected, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for me. I thank you, Lord, for saving me today. I declare that I'm a new creation. All things are passed away, and I am born again. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Listen, whatever the Lord tells you to do, go ahead and do it. Acts 9, verse 6. Lord, what do you want me to do? And when he answers you, you respond with complete obedience. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Be safe and look out for others. Like I said, we have prayer meeting on Tuesday evening. On Wednesday, we have Bible study and prayer meeting at midday. 
And then at Thursday, we meet for a cell group gathering in the evening at 6.30. Come on, just stand to your feet and give the Lord a big hand clap.